Okay, we are back in Mark this morning, so I invite you to turn there with me to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to finish uh, chapter 4 this morning. And there are 16 chapters in Mark, so we'll be finishing the fourth chapter and we'll also be a fourth of the way through Mark's gospel. And as you're turning there, I want you just to think and consider with me some times of trial or difficulty. And we just prayed about some of those, but think about uh, some times in your life, maybe in the past or maybe presently, you feel like you're going through a season of life that's marked with, uh, with trouble. Maybe it's a difficult season of life. So how do we respond to those times of trouble? How do we respond to those things? Too often, we can respond like the disciples in our story that we're about to read. And we can wonder, God, do you even care? Or if you've ever felt that way. God, are, are you there? Are you listening? Do you care about what's going on? And if you've ever wondered that, if you've ever felt that, well, this passage is going to be a great help to us this morning. So please look with me at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. I'll read this for us. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side, that is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would stir our hearts uh, now, this morning, to receive your word. We pray that your spirit would guide us in understanding your word and applying it to our hearts and to our lives. Please comfort us with your presence, uh, even as your word teaches that you are with us through every difficulty and through every storm. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, about 500 years before this event happened, about 500 years before this king of kings calmed the raging storm on the sea, there was another ruler who ran into the same kind of trouble with a stormy sea. This was King Xerxes of Persia. He was fashioned the king of kings. He fashioned himself to be a god among men. And he was continuing to solidify the kingdom that was passed down to him from his father Darius. And uh, he had just finished uh, uh, squelching some rebellions in Egypt and in Babylon, and now he has set his sight on Greece. His father Darius attempted to subjugate Greece to his control, and he failed. And now his son Xerxes, he's going to finish what his father started. And he amasses a huge army, and he's marching this army 
uh, on modern-day Turkey, across that area now, he's marching his army up to this narrow strait of water called the Hellespont. And this is a strait of water that separates uh, 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 Europe from Asia. And he's going to attempt to cross this, this strait of water in order to quickly get into Greece and get into that area so he can have an advantage in this battle. But there's only a problem. There's no bridge, so he has to build a bridge. And the way he does this is by lining up his, his boats and his ships, his galleys and his triremes next to each other, and he builds this, this pontoon bridge across the water here, about a mile long worth of a bridge. But as they were constructing this bridge, as they are about finished, a great storm comes in and destroys everything that he had built. And he's so furious, King Xerxes, he's so angry at the sea for destroying his bridge that he orders his soldiers to wade out into the water and to whip the sea, give it 300 lashings, and to poke the sea with hot iron rods. And then the story goes in a, as a symbol of his dominance over the sea, he, he throws a pair of handcuffs into the sea. That you will not have any dominion over me. And then for good measure, he goes and he beheads all of his engineers that built the bridge. So I don't know if he really understood maybe what he was doing or who was really in control there. But eventually the bridge was completed. Over 600 ships were used to build this bridge and he eventually gets his army across. He wages war with the Greeks. Unfortunately for him, it didn't go all well. The invasion didn't work. He had to retreat his army. And wouldn't you know it, as he was retreating, it turned out that the sea had destroyed his bridge once again. So maybe King Xerxes wasn't all that powerful. But I wonder, when we face hardship, when we face trial, is one of our first reactions to, to grow angry or to grow impatient or to think that we're in control and things aren't working out the way that we want them to? How much better is it, how much more comforting is it for us to know and for us to remember that we have the King of Kings, that we have the true master of the storm, that He is Christ our Lord. Christ is the one who can calm the storms, not with whips, not with fetters, not with iron rods, but He calms the storm with just a a word out of His mouth. He speaks and the waves cease. And what comfort is it that this master of the storm, he is with us right there. He is with us in the boat. See, this is exactly what we see in this passage. We see these two things, that Jesus, that he is the master of the storm, and that he is with us in the boat. He is the sovereign king, he's the master of all, and he is with us right there. He's with us in the midst of the storm. We see both of those two things, and those are the two things I want us to look at as we consider this passage this morning. And the first we must realize, we must see, is that He is the master of the storm. He rebukes the wind and He says to the sea, Peace, 
be still. And the sea, it doesn't put up any fight, but it immediately yields itself to the demand of its king. And the disciples, they're left speechless. Can you, can you picture that scene? Can you, can you put yourselves in their shoes? As they were rocking back and forth and swaying and falling over, tripping over themselves, now all of a sudden, it's quiet and calm. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's all that they can ask. And that's the same question that we all must, get, must ask ourselves as we come to this passage. This is the same, this is the exact question that Mark wants us to be asking as we read this story, as we hear this story. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth that commands the wind and the seas? Do we believe that he is the master of the storm, that he is the son of God, that he is God in the flesh, that he has absolute authority over everything in creation? And do we believe that that includes us? But this is what this passage shows us. We've already seen uh, throughout Mark the authority of Jesus. We've seen that he is mighty, that he has authority. If you're here for those first sermons, you remember those words that they show up throughout uh, Mark's gospel. He is mightier. John the Baptist says, one is coming who is mightier than I. He's mightier than sickness and disease. He heals the people. He's, he has authority over sin. He forgives sin. He has authority and power over the demons and the forces of darkness. And here we see that he has authority and power as well over all creation. So how can this be? Well, Jesus is the master of the storm because he is the creator of the storm. Jesus is the creator God. He is God. In Mark's retelling of this event, he, he's pulling several connections, several phrases, uh, lines, and words from the Old Testament to identify that this Jesus of Nazareth that he's talking to us about, he is the God of the Old Testament. They're one and the same. So listen to how God is described in Psalm 104. Uh, the psalmist is giving praise to God for his majesty. The psalmist is giving praise to God because of his creation. And so he writes in verse 5, He, that is God, set the earth on its foundations so that it would never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took the flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they may not again cover the earth. You hear the language of, of, of God establishing his creation, ordering it so in every, every which way that it goes. And the psalmist is declaring uh, that the God of Scripture, the God of Israel, he is uniquely worthy of praise because he is the one who has done all these things, because he is the one who has created everything. He's the one who set the earth on its foundation. He's the one who raises the mountains, who sets the boundaries of the earth, and he alone is the one who can rebuke the waters and set them again in motion. God alone can do this. So who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
as the creator God. So he's the creator God, and he's also the sovereign king who rules over all things and directs all events. So listen again now to another psalm, Psalm 107, where we see the same kind of language show up again. Psalm 107, it recounts God's sovereign hand as it guides people and it guides places uh, throughout all events. So listen to the similar language. Psalm 107 says that some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord and His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Have you ever felt that way? Then, it says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired heaven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. It's the Lord, it's the sovereign king who can make the storm be still, who can hush the waves. Only the Lord can do this. And yet, here's this Jesus of Nazareth who's calming the storms, who's commanding the sea. Who then is this? The disciples wonder that even the wind and the sea obey him. One more incredible connection in Scripture uh, to our passage this morning. This is from the story of Jonah. I'm sure you remember the story of Jonah. Uh, He was uh, called by God to go and to preach to the people of Nineveh. But Jonah doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. He doesn't want God to forgive the people of Nineveh. So he runs the other way. He flees from God's presence. But that doesn't work out too well for him. And in verse 4, it says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest over the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. You see all the the connections to our story here. Then the, the mariners were afraid, and they each cried out that it was God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? What are you doing? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And of course, Jonah, he awakes and he he knows what's going on. And he has the, the men of the ship throw him overboard to calm the sea. But notice the connections here and notice who it is that commanded that great tempest on the sea. It was the Lord himself. The Lord brought that storm upon Jonah and upon his companions. The God who hurled the great wind upon Jonah and upon his companions is the same God who calmed the sea with his disciples. 
That's the first thing we must see in this passage. The first thing we must recognize is that He is the master of the storm. He is the sovereign king. He is the creator God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Christ, he is the almighty God. He's the maker of heaven and the earth. He is all powerful. Do you believe that the God that you worship, that he is powerful over all things? Including and especially no matter what the storm is, no matter what the trial is that you're going through in life, do you believe that he is the master of that storm as well? The one we worship, the God that we serve, he is not some puny God. He is the all-powerful God. He holds all things together. So that's the first thing we must see. He is the master. He is the sovereign king. But the incredible thing is, that the master of the storm, he is also with us in the boat. That's the other thing that we can't miss. The second thing that we see in this passage is that he is with us. Where was Jesus when the disciples were in danger of perishing? He was right there with them. He was not distant, but he was right there. He might have been asleep, but he was right there. He was there ready for the disciples to come and find him. He was with them, and he is with you. He's with me. He's with us in the midst of whatever is going on right now. Even when we might forget, even when he might be out of sight, out of mind, he's with us. Psalm 23, that favorite psalm, I've been thinking about it a lot. Uh, lately, and um, what does Psalm 23 say? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of all creation, the God of the Bible, He is my shepherd. And because that's true, I shall not want, or I shall lack nothing. There's nothing that I am missing because He is my shepherd. And then remember what verse 4 says. Of that wonderful psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? How is that possible? Because, David says, for you are with me. That's how. No matter what the valley is that you are going through right now, no matter what kind of storm that might be raging in your life, Christ says to you, I am with you. He is the Lord. He is your shepherd. He is with you. He's right there with you. That verse, uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, it also says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why are those two things so comforting? Well, the rod is, is an offensive weapon. It's, a, it's an attacking weapon. It was the shepherd's weapon to, to attack and to defend his sheep from, from anything that might come uh, to harm them. Now, this is a, a weapon that's mentioned uh, in Psalm 2 where it says that the Lord's anointed, uh, that he will break the nations. He will break them with a rod of iron. So this is, this is the weapon. And then the staff... In his other hand, the 
the staff is the tool for, for guiding, for directing his sheep. And it's a, a symbol of, of trust and of dependence. The sheep could depend upon their shepherd, knowing that he is always with them and guiding them to where they need to go. So notice, though, that it's both of these things. It's the rod and the staff, both of these things that bring comfort to David. It's both the mighty power of God and also his tender compassion. Both of those things together bring David great comfort. It's both that God is the master of the storm and also that he is with us in his compassion with us. That's what brings us comfort. Both of those things together. If God was was powerful and the master of the storm, but he was far away, well, that wouldn't bring much comfort to us where we are because he wouldn't be with us. Or if God was with us, if Christ was with us, but he wasn't powerful, if he didn't have any control over the storm, then that also wouldn't bring any comfort because we would still be powerless. There would still be nothing that we could do. But God is both of those things. Christ is both. He is both king and close by. He is both master and he is with us. With both both his rod of power and his staff of trust and tender care. Both of those things bring comfort. So we must not forget either of those things. We must remember that he is sovereign, that he is sovereign over the storm. And that he is with us in the storm. He is the king of the valley and he is walking with us in the valley. There's a recent book written on, on Psalm 23, and I've been reading through that, and it's been so helpful. And uh, the, the author, he makes this point, talking about God's sovereignty. And he says, For if God is not in charge of the valley, how do you know he can get you through it? If God's not in charge of the valley, how do we know that he can see us through it? Well, we know that he can see us through it because he is. He's the master of the valley. He's the master of the storm. So he can see us through it. He can bring us through it because he's greater than all. He's with us in the boat. He's going to see us through. And even more than that, he's with us in his compassion. Not only does he promise that he will bring us through the storm, but he's also so ordered the storm, he's so ordered the valley That it's out of his compassion he's bringing us through it in order for our benefit, in order for our own faith, our own growth, our own good. How is this possible? What does this mean? Well, we see how the disciples, how did they respond to the storm when they went to Jesus? What What did they say to him? They found him asleep and they cried out to him, Teacher, so teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we are perishing? And maybe you have felt that way. God, do you care at all? God, are you real? Do you you care about what I'm going through? Do you even see what I'm going through? Do you care about what's happening in my life? And the answer to that question is yes. The answer to that question is yes, he does. He absolutely cares. And in fact... 
he's using this and he's teaching you something about yourself, but even more importantly, about who he is. The disciples then, they were, they were right to call him teacher in that moment, but they did so ironically because they were not learning the lesson that he was trying to teach them. Jesus was teaching them a lesson in that storm that they needed to hear. And that lesson they needed was that he is the only one and the only thing that they need. They needed to learn that lesson of dependence upon him. This was the lesson that Jesus, that the great teacher, this was the lesson that he uh, taught Corey Ten Boom. This quote is, is credited to her. She says that you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. If you're not familiar with her story, it's an incredible story. She was born in the Netherlands, and she talks about uh, her life and her, her famous book, The Hiding Place, about how uh, she and her family uh, helped to hide uh, Jewish people from the Nazis during World War II. And they hid them in her home uh, until she and her family were arrested and eventually uh, were brought to a concentration camp with uh, her and her sister Betsy. And they were there. Her sister passed away in that camp only a few days uh, before she was, uh, Corey was ultimately released. But while they were there, they held worship services and they praised God. And many people came to faith during that time because Jesus had taught her this lesson. That Jesus is all they had. And that was okay because Jesus was all that they truly needed. In such an incredible story like that, it can put our own uh, lives into perspective, our own experiences into perspective. But Christ, He is a great teacher. And He's using every moment, any moment, big or small, no matter what you're going through, He cares about those things. He truly does. And He's using those things to teach us of our need for Him and that we need to trust in Him. Christ, He loves us too much to let the desires of the world or any material blessings we might have. He cares too much about our eternal souls to let those things distract us and draw us away from Him. He will take those things away from you in order to bring you back to Himself. So these storms, these valleys, these trials, they they come from God's compassion for His people because He wants to make your faith secure in Him. So consider how James, the brother of Jesus, how James puts this in, in the beginning of his letter. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy, he says. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. I should count it joy, the storm that's raging in my life, that should be something I should count as joy? Yes, that's what James is saying. How can that be? 
Because Christ is master of the storm, and He is with you in the boat, and He is ordering all these things to bring about good in your life. That is what James is saying. God is using this trial to make you perfect and complete. He's using the storm to bring you to a full awareness that all you truly need is found in Him and in Him alone. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, he says it best. And he said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I love that. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. If the storms in your life are tossing you around, then rejoice because they are throwing you against Christ, who is your rock and your redeemer. And he will use all means to humble us so that he might raise us up in dependence and love for him. He is the master of the storm. And because he is the master of the storm, he will use every storm in your life to bring you to himself. And he is with you every step of the way. So he's the master of the storm. He is with you. So just a couple points, more points of application as we close this morning. Just a couple more things. First application we should see is that the remedy to the fear that comes from the storms in our lives, the remedy to that fear is faith. Jesus asked the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, faith is the remedy to this fear. But what is the nature of faith? Faith is not the absence of trials. So we see this is the the first point of application. We need faith, but faith is not the absence of trials. Faith is trusting in the one who is with you in the midst of the trials. David writes, I will not fear, for you are with me. David did not fear because God teleported him out of the valley. But David did not fear because God was with him in the valley. He did not pretend that it didn't exist, and we are not called to pretend that whatever's going on in your life doesn't exist but we are called to have faith in the one who is with you in the midst of all those things. So we have to remember that. First point of application, that we need that faith. The second thing I want us to remember as we leave here is that faith is not, first thing is that faith is a response to fear, but the second thing is that faith is not the absence of fear, per se, in and of itself. Well, how can that be? Maybe that seems a little odd. But faith is not the absence of fear, but rather it is fear that is redirected toward its proper object. So see how this passage ends. The disciples, they're terrified of the storm raging all around them. And then Jesus calms the storm. And then in verse 41 it says that they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this? But they were filled with great fear. The fear did not disappear, but rather it was directed. The object of their fear was shifted from the storm to the master of the storm. 
If he can command the storm, what else can he do? Is anything too mighty for him? This is the proper fear of the Lord that we are all called to have. This is a holy fear, not a, not a fear that is afraid of God because we know that God is love and he has compassion toward us as a shepherd. But faith is developed from a holy fear that comes from understanding the greatness of his power and his might. That is a fear that leads to faith because it's grounded in the one who alone is all-powerful. No one else can match his power or his might. So how incredible, again, how incredible is it that this all-powerful master of the storm, that he is also our personal savior. He is also the one who is with us always. Let's pray. Jesus, we marvel at you because you are the almighty God. You are all-powerful. You command the wind and the sea. You are the one who created all things in heaven above and in the earth below. You command the sun and the stars. You're sovereign over every nation, over every people, over every person. And yet, you love your people that you know each of us by name, that you know each of us, you know every single thing that we're going through. You're with each of us personally. So we pray that you would use every storm in our lives to make us dependent upon you. We pray that we might learn from you as our teacher, that we might rest in you as our Savior, that we might delight in you as our friend. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.